you could, go ahead and open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Uh, we're going to go back to Luke 2, even we, though we were there a couple months ago, and, and focus more specifically on, on the angel's appearance to the shepherds. We're going to read verses 1 when Quirinius was governor of Syria and all went to be registered each to his own town and Joseph also went up from Galilee to the town of Nazareth to Judea to the city of David which is called Bethlehem because he was of the house and lineage of David to be registered with Mary his betrothed who was with child and while they were there the time came for her to give birth and she gave birth to her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn and in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly... There was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. And when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told to them concerning the child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. But Mary treasured up all these things in her heart, pondering them in her heart. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen, as it had been told them. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you sent your Son into this world. You sent him as a, a human baby to be born of a woman, to be born under the law, to redeem us out from under it. God, we thank you that you didn't keep your son's birth a secret, but sent your messengers to these shepherds in this field to tell them the, the good news of great joy that Jesus was born and that He is a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Father, we pray that You would send Your Spirit to, uh, to equip us and enable us and help us to understand Your Word together this morning and that we would, would learn more together about what joy is and, and why we should have it and, and that we can only find it in You. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, so what we see in this passage, we're not going to walk through all the passage uh, verse by verse. We did that 
uh, a couple months ago. Today we're going to focus mostly on what happens in verses 10 and 11. Um, But what we're going to see is that it is a joyous thing that Jesus was born. And the main point for us this morning, the main point from this passage, is that joy is produced by focusing on who Jesus is and what he's done and what he's doing and will do. Joy is produced by focusing on Jesus and who he is, what he, what he has done, what he is doing, and what he will do. Joy is not found in our circumstances. It's not found in our lives. It's not found in temporary fleeting things on this earth. It is found in Christ, and it's produced by him in us. Um, so what happens in this passage we just read is that Jesus is born, and there's these shepherds who are out in this field, and it's, you know, it's pitch black. They're watching over their sheep in the middle of the night. And uh, Luke tells us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he tells us that these angels just kind of appear out of nowhere. Specifically, one angel appears first. And the shepherd responds to that angel by being afraid, like any of us would, right? If we're just out in the middle of nowhere, sitting in the darkness, and all of a sudden this blinding light pierces the darkness, and there's an angel there, and it starts talking to us, it's going to freak us out, right? That's how everyone responds in Scripture when angels show up. They are afraid, and the angel always says, fear not, and then he tells them why. So he says, uh, fear not. For behold, this is, this is the reason why you don't need to fear. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. So the angel, after he startles the shepherd, says, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid because I'm bringing you good news of great joy. What is another word that we could use in place of good news? Gospel, right? It's the same exact word. This angel was sent by God to these shepherds to give them a gospel of great joy. Good news of great joy that's going to be for all the people. Not all good news is gospel, but this good news is. So we want to, in order to understand why it's good news of great joy, we need to understand two things together this morning. The first thing is we need to talk about what joy is, what it, what it means for us to have joy And the second thing is we need to answer the question, how is the gospel good news of great joy? So we're going to talk about what joy is, and then we're going to connect that to what the angel says to know what it means for the gospel to be good news of great joy. So the first question we need to answer this morning is, what is joy? And I don't know about you. I mean, the kids actually did a pretty phenomenal job. But for me, it's really hard to kind of define joy. Because joy, it's not, it's, not a, it's not a concept, it's not a, not, a, not a thing, it's not something abstract, it's, it's an emotional response. And uh, if you know me well at all, you know that me and emotional responses uh, aren't on the best of terms. And so when I start to put a definition down for joy, it's, it's, it's a lot more complicated. And so it would be great if we had a projector today, but we don't. So I'm going to throw out a big definition for what joy is, but we're going to walk through it piece by piece. So don't feel like you have to write all of this down, um, but here it is. Joy is what God produces in us and is found in Him when we set our minds and hearts not on how things are, but focusing on the reality that he is making all things new. It is the emotional response that results from hoping fully in Christ and his work on our behalf. So there's really three parts. The first part is uh, joy is what God produces in us and is found in him. Joy is produced 
in us by God and it's found in him. The second part is that uh, we find that when we're not focusing on what's happening in our lives, but instead are focusing on the reality that he's making all things new. And that is just saying that, that joy isn't based on our circumstances. And the last part is that it's the emotional response that results from us hoping fully in Christ by trusting in him, by looking forward to the future that he's bringing instead of the present that is. So we're going to walk through this a little piece at a time. So the first part, joy is what God produces in us and is found in him. So what this means is that our joy comes from God. It's not something that we have on our own. It's not something that naturally as human beings we are just joyful people. And so maybe you know someone who has a, a more bubbly, happy-go-lucky personality. That is not joy. That is, that is a personality of, of happiness um, that, that I, I just don't have. But some people have that. So I, in my flesh, want to say a lot that I'm just naturally not a joyful person. No one is naturally a joyful person. But look at what Paul says in Ephesians 5, 5, 22 through 23, if you want to flip over there. Uh, but I will read it and you can listen. He says, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. Paul is saying that along with all of these other things, joy is a product, not a byproduct, a product of the Spirit's work in us. So while we might be able to say natural human beings aren't predisposed to joy, Paul says that human beings who have the Spirit of God indwelling inside them, people who have trusted in Jesus, we should be predisposed to joy. So if we don't respond in joy to the circumstances we face in our life in light of the future that's coming, it's because we're not submitting to the Spirit's work in us. Because the Spirit works in us to produce joy and all those other things Paul lists. And so if we're not joyful people, we should be asking, why not? Is it because we're not submitting to the Spirit? Is it because we don't have the Spirit? And so we're not predisposed to joy. In Psalm 1611, the psalmist says this. He says, you make known to me the path of life. He's talking about God. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence, there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The psalmist is telling us that that's where joy is found. The fullness of joy. The most, the, the, the most biggest possible quantity of joy there is. The fullness of joy is found in God's presence. So if we want to be people who have joy, the place we find joy is in God's presence. So joy is produced in us by the Holy Spirit, Paul says. And the psalmist says joy is found in God's presence. So if we want to have joy, if we want to be joyful people, if we want to respond to circumstances with joy, we find it in God and he produces us in it. That's where we get joy from. It's not something that we can just manufacture on our own. But maybe you say, well, I hear what you're saying, right? Psalm 1611 does say that, that joy is found in God's presence. But, but you know, God is where God is, and we're down here in this broken world. Well, 1 Peter, in 1 Peter 3.18 says, Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God. Peter is talking about what Jesus did on the cross, and he's saying one of the uh, results of Jesus' death on the cross on our behalf is that he opens up access for us to God the Father. We 
get our relationship with him restored. Last week, we talked about peace, and we talked about how when Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden, there's an angel with a flaming sword posted at the edge of the garden so that people can't get back in. They can't get back into God's presence. When Jesus comes and he dies on the cross and he redeems us, he opens back up access to God for his people. And so, yes, God is in the heavens. He is enthroned above the earth. He is, he is far away in some ways. But Peter tells us that on the cross, Jesus brings him near to his people. We have access to him. We have access to that fullness of joy. Joy is what God produces in us and is what is found in him because of what Christ has done on our behalf. Second part of the definition is when we set our minds and hearts not only on how things are, but focusing as well on the reality that he is making all things new. What that means is that joy is not based on how things are. It's not just based on how things are. It's also based on how things will be. What that means is that we don't ever have an excuse to not be joyful. Right? If, if joy was based solely on what happens here, right now, in the present, we would have tons of reasons not to be joyful. Uh, this, on Sunday mornings, for me, I like Sunday mornings to be as low-key as possible. You know, I want to be able to get up, get ready at my own pace, have some time to go through my notes, show up here, help with stuff that needs help with, but things just to kind of be stress-free. Uh, the last few weeks, as, you know, thieves have taken sound equipment and vans gotten broken windows and new locks and old locks, and it's been kind of hectic and stressful, and there have been meetings, and uh, I haven't always responded joyfully to those things. Because if I just look at what, what's happening on a Sunday morning that I don't want to happen on a Sunday morning, I'm not going to respond with joy. That's why we need to remember. That's why I need to remember that joy isn't based on what is. It's based on what will be. In uh, Hebrews tells us that, uh, that Jesus endured the cross for the joy set before him. That does not mean that Jesus endured the cross joyfully. That means that he endured it for the joy set before him. The joy was in the future. It wasn't in the present suffering. In the same way, Peter in 1 Peter says, uh, In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter is encouraging his readers. He's encouraging us to be joyful even if what we're going through at the moment is trials and suffering and persecution not because of what is he's not saying be joyful because of your present circumstances he's saying be joyful uh, despite your present circumstances because of the future that's coming we have joy that is inexpressible not because of what we're facing now but because of what we will inherit later 
Joy is focused on the future. And because it's focused on the future and not simply the present, that means believers can be joyful in any circumstances. Listen to what Habakkuk says in Habakkuk 3.17-18. through 18. This is, We see evidence in Scripture of God's people responding with joy despite what's going on. He says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit beyond the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. Habakkuk is saying that regardless of how bad things get in Israel, he is going to keep finding his joy in his God. He says that even if you know the trees are bare, even if the crops fail, even if all the livestock die, even if everything that could go wrong goes wrong, he knows that his God is still the God of salvation and he's going to find his joy in him. Joy is produced by God and exists even in the darkest circumstances because we look past those circumstances to who He is and what He's done and we know that His light pierces even the darkest darkness. We can find joy in Him not because of what is, but because of what will be in Him. Finally, joy is the emotional response that's produced by us setting our hope fully in who Jesus is and what He's done. A few weeks ago, Matt read Romans 15, 13, when we talked about hope. It says, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This is Paul's prayer for the Romans. And what we should see in this verse is that there's a very strong connection between joy and hope. You can't have one without the other because they feed in to each other. Uh, When we are joyful, we're hoping in Christ. That's how joy is produced. It's produced by us hoping in Christ. And when we are hoping in Christ, we will be joyful people. The reason why we aren't joyful people sometimes is because we're not focused. We're not hoping on the future that's coming. Joy is what God produces in us. It's what's found in Him. It's what we have when we don't just look at our present circumstances, but look to the reality that He's making all things new. That means He's going to make our present circumstances go away and be replaced by something better and something perfect. It's what we have. It's how we respond. It's who we are when we're hoping fully in Christ and who He is and what He's done for us. So the question then is if if that's what joy is, if that's how joy comes out of us, then how is the gospel good news of great joy? How is this announcement that the angel makes to the shepherds good news of great joy? Well, lucky for us, Luke tells us. You flip back over to Luke chapter 2. He says, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. And then in verse 11, he says, For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That word for at the beginning of verse 11 is him saying, this is the cause for this joy I just told you about. This is good news of great joy. Now I'm going to explain why it's joyful. And the reason why is unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. So in this verse, in verse 11, the angel gives them three titles that describe both who Jesus is and also what he does. 
The first title is he's a savior. So it should be a joyful thing for these shepherds and for us that Jesus is a savior. He came to save his people from their sins. And I think that this should be particularly joyful or joy producing for these shepherds. And the reason why is because shepherds were, were bad guys. You know, in, in the Christmas story and in our uh, you know, nativity sets and in precious moments, shepherds are these cute little guys that have robes and those you know, curved sticks. And we think, oh, you know, those guys are just really cute and nice. Uh, but in the ancient Jewish world, the shepherds were not cute and nice. They were outcasts. They were seen as dishonest people. Their profession was unclean by the law's standards. And so they were on the outside of society. And so if you want to have an accurate nativity set, you need to take those shepherds and like throw them in your backyard and just forget about them. Because that's who these people are. But the fact that God sends his messengers with this good news of great joy to these people should be very, very encouraging to us. Jesus is a savior, not of the self-righteous and the religious, but of the sinners and the outcasts. He came to save those who were broken, those who were on the outside of society looking in. Those are the kinds of people that he came to redeem, to save those who were oppressed and mistreated. He came to save them. He came to save us from our sin and death and Satan. But the fact that Jesus is a Savior and that this good news, there's also some, some, some subtle bad news kind of wedged in there because the reality is, is that if it's good news that Jesus is a Savior, then that means that we need saving. I think any time we think about the fact that Jesus is a Savior or a Redeemer or you know, who he is and what he's done, it should also be a reminder of who we are and what we've done. Right? We are people that need saving. We are people that can't do it on our own. The reason why the gospel is good news of great joy is because there is bad news about who we really are and what we've done and the fact that we can't do anything to change who we are or improve our position before God. We need him to send his son, who is a savior, to save us and redeem us from our sins. That's why it's good news of great joy. Because we need a Savior, and He has sent us a Savior in Christ. He also says He's a Savior who is Christ the Lord. The second title is Christ. And the reason why I say it's a title is because sometimes we forget that it's a title and we think that it's Jesus' last name. It's not Jesus' last name. It's His position. Christ comes out of the Old Testament word for Messiah. It means anointed one. It's, it's the one that God promised to come and redeem his people and to usher in his kingdom and overturn the curse of the fall and keep all of the promises that God made to his people. And so when the angels tell these shepherds that the Christ is coming, they understand who this person is. They understand that it's not Jesus' last name. It's his position as the anointed Messiah who's coming to to keep all of the promises that God has made to his people. They understand that he is the one that they have been waiting for for generation after generation after generation. He is the Christ. He is the promised Messiah. Also notice that Jesus didn't, didn't become the Messiah. Right? It's not like he was born into the world as a human being and then he went through this like rigorous training program to earn all these titles. As an infant, who's swaddled right now, right? he is the Messiah. He is the Savior. He is the Lord. He is these things. He was sent into the world because that's who he is. 
the last title. The first two are good news of great joy. That he's our Savior, that he's the Messiah. But the last one is just is nuts. A Savior who is Christ the Lord. So if right now, if time travel existed, and we had a time machine, and we could go back in time to this night where the angel appeared to these shepherds like five minutes before they show up, and we would poll these shepherds and say, who is the Lord? What do you think they would say? As Jewish shepherds, there's one answer to that question. And the one answer is that Yahweh is Lord. The God who created everything. The God who who reigns and rules over all people. The one who is God and sits enthroned above the heavens. He is the Lord and no other. And this angel shows up and says, I bring you good news of great joy. Unto you is born today a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That Lord has been born. The one who who made all the trees, is sleeping in a manger that's made out of them. The one who sits enthroned above the heavens now is is underneath them. He has come into His creation to redeem and save His people. This is the headline. Luke buries the lead here. The angel buries the lead here. This is the shocking, joy-producing fact of the good news that the angel gives to these shepherds. Their Lord has entered His creation to redeem it, and to save them. This is insane. No other religion works this way. They're all about us going to where He is. But the Gospel is about the fact that He has come down to save us. I think one thing that we forget at Christmas time when we think about joy is we think, yeah, absolutely, right? The angel appears to these shepherds on this night. They go, they see baby Jesus, and it is a joyful, joyful thing. But that was a long time ago, right? How, how, how does that produce joy in me now? But the reality is, is that that's not how joy works. You see, tomorrow is Dinah's birthday. She turns, turns 11. And when she was born in 2008, it was a very joyful time for us. As you know, we had our first kid, uh, I got a little choked up because I was happy. Um, but then, no more joy. Tomorrow, she's 11, big deal. She was born in 2008, that was joyful. We're past it. I don't really feel that way. That was sarcasm, right? It's still a joyful thing for us that she's our daughter, that she is turning 11. We celebrate that because we love her and she produces joy in our life. Jesus is still alive. He is still the Savior. He is still the Christ. He is still the Lord. That's not something that's just in the past that has no relevance for our life. The very fact that He is who He is and He does what He's done and He's doing what He's doing and He will continue to do it is what produces and causes joy in us. It's when we relegate Him to the past that we don't have joy. 
He is continuing to save us. Right? We have been saved. We are being saved and we will be saved. We always will need Him to be our Savior. There's never going to come a point where we won't need that. He continues to produce joy in us when we focus not on how things are in our lives, but instead focus on who He is and what He's done, and what He is doing and will do for us as His people. And so today, as we take the Lord's Supper together as a church, I would encourage you to, to spend time um, like you normally do, right? thinking about what's going on in your life, thinking about the ways in which you've fallen short, thinking about the ways in which Christ is calling you to more obedience. And confess sin and, and ask for more transformation. But then look past that. Look past yourself. Um, right? Humility, Tim Keller says, it's, it's not about thinking less of ourselves. It's about thinking of ourselves less, right? When we sometimes, even at a time like the Lord's Supper, we can use Christian introspection to cause us just to think about ourselves, which is not who we should be thinking about, right? We should be thinking about Jesus. Jesus is who produces joy in us. Thinking about ourselves will not produce joy. Thinking about Jesus will produce joy. And so take some time, prepare yourself to celebrate the Lord's Supper, but then move past yourself. Consider Jesus, focus on Him, look to Him, remind yourself that He is the one who's freed you from your sin. He is the one who, who succeeded where you failed. He is the one who was victorious where we might feel defeated. And He is the one who is our source of joy. If we seek to find joy in anyone or anything else, we will not have joy. But when we seek to find joy in Him, we'll find it. Because in His presence is fullness of joy. Let's pray. Father, we thank You that, that Your Gospel is good news of great joy. We thank you that when we're focused on who your Son is and, and what He's done for us and, and what He's doing for us right now, that, that your Spirit causes us to be joyful. But we confess that far too often we allow ourselves to be distracted by earthly things and earthly circumstances. We get too focused on ourselves and distracted from what really matters. We pray that you would send your spirit to to root out that sin in us. To, to shift our gaze to You. And that Your Spirit would produce in us the joy 
that only you can produce. Jesus, we thank you that you've given us the Lord's Supper to to celebrate who you are and what you've done for us. That when we celebrate it, we proclaim your death until you return. I pray today that as as we celebrate your, your life and death and resurrection by taking the Lord's Supper as a church, that you would by your Spirit remind us that your death wasn't the end, but that you still are our Savior. You still are the Messiah and you are Lord.